Now it's time for some New York Mets baseball talk. Here's Gary Mack bringing you the latest news and analysis from Mets Nation and the world of baseball on another edition of Mets Musings. And hello, welcome to another edition of Mets Musings. It's our Thursday get-together, Thursday night at 8 here on uh, Sports uh, Caster that live in 365 Sportscast. And tonight we're doing something a little different. We're going right to our guest because we got a great, terrific guest. And we're going to talk about uh, the year of 2017 and the New York Mets season and uh, all kinds of other fun things. So without further ado, let me bring on my special guest, Mr. Greg Prince. Greg, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Gary. Glad to be here. And Greg, uh, I said we're going to talk a little bit about the 2017 season. Now that you've had some time, it's been a couple of weeks to decompress. Uh, what, if anything, did you take out of this season? Was it all negative? Was there any good at all? And, and uh, where do we go from here? Uh, I would say the best part is that it is over and that 162 games got played. Um, and as far as I know, uh, nobody died. Uh, other than that, it's hard to take anything good away from the 2017 season. Uh, it's funny what we're, we're talking about less than two weeks, actually, since they finished playing. And I, actually found myself in the last couple of days and this actually isn't all that uncommon but i was like trying to remember the name of some player and i realized that after day after day of being focused on these guys and kind of to whatever extent i can building my my days and evenings around them i like just hadn't thought about them and it's kind of nice to to be away from it um, but not, not to be utterly, uh, despairing about it. I guess there were some good things. Um, you know, you kind of have to forget about the way it ended and try to remember who all are there. And you do still have something of a nucleus. And if they can stay healthy, you know, you, you have a chance to, to build on that. So, you know, the, the season is over. And another one is off on the horizon somewhere. And, you know, I, I guess the happiest thing I could say is it probably could be worse because we've certainly seen it be worse. <laughs> yeah, yes, we've had. We, we've been through a few of those bad ones. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it was a tough season. And uh, the injuries really uh, – seem to be the the keynote of the season that then and you know you have you hate to talk about injuries and and because it sounds like you're making excuses but I, I I just think that this year really that was the focal point of everything well there's no escaping it um, you know, what two players made it beginning to end of the season without going on the disabled list, you know, unless they were traded or something like that. So, you know, you can't avoid uh, acknowledging it. 
<clears throat> excuse me, uh, you know, two players on the everyday side qualified in terms of plate appearances for a batting title. One player, one pitcher, qualified for the earned run average title, again, just in terms of innings pitched. So, you know, what does that tell you? Uh, it tells you that you were mixing and matching and improving and vamping and doing all those things that, you know, you could only get away with for so long. I mean, we, we could have had some variation on this discussion a year ago, except they made it work in 2016. Uh, a lot of injuries then. It just seemed like there were a few more this year and, you know, just torpedoed the damn thing. Um, but, you know, what you have to like, I guess, is that at least ostensibly they're taking steps, uh, you know, having deciding to replace the head trainer. Uh, we don't really know if, you know, how... But the, what the ratio is from uh, the connection is from the head trainer to why there are so many injuries year after year. But it's hard to argue with the idea that there's a sudden connection. So they've made that change, you know, in a, in a larger sense, they've you know gotten rid of the manager. Uh, it's sort of a, a big moment, I suppose, in, if not in the history of the Mets, and certainly it's, it's a, a point of inflection. Uh, perhaps we'll be able to look back on the decisions that they're making now in a couple of years and say, boy, you know, the Mets turned around because they hired the right manager in the offseason between 2017 and 2018. Or I suppose it's possible to say, you know, boy, did they make a terrible choice and now <laughs> we're even further behind the eight ball. Or perhaps just to cover all our bases. <laughs> Um, we'll find out that, uh, you know, when people say, oh, managers don't make a difference and the Mets will just kind of, uh, slog on. But, um, you know, sadly they could not, uh, they could not rescue their manager. Their manager could not rescue them. They could not rescue their trainer. I don't suppose that's really their job. And, um, you know, I guess we are at an inflection point of uh, figuring out what comes next. But again, I think we're, we're fortunate that I don't think we're starting from rock bottom here. I mean, this season was very rock bottom-ish, if you will. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there, there is enough talent here to build on. And, you know, this is a, a big off season for d deciding, uh, you know, how serious they are about rebuilding or, you know, adding on. I go rebuilding just has that, uh, you know, that, that, that overtone to it that says, okay, we're, you know, we're the 20, 11 Houston Astros going to lose 106 games or whatever it was. No, that's not what I mean. But, uh, you know, there there is something to construct upon, let's put it that way. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Uh, yeah, you're so right. They, they do have, uh, and probably one of the key things that they have is the starting pitching. It's just a question of health and whether they can keep them healthy, you know, Um that that's the main thing when when you look at this team now that uh, you, you know essentially the five starters are there the seven starters maybe even eight there uh, the question is who can stay healthy and uh, who's gonna make uh, this squad next year but um, 
I, I, I think some of the stuff uh, this year, I really think, you know, Syndergaard putting that extra thing, that put the stress on him, and I think that's what really did him in. And I also think that when Syndergaard got hurt, that really took the season down the toilet. Yeah, I mean, they they were not doing well. Mind you, that was the end of April. They were not doing well in April. And the second he grabs what we learned was his lat muscle, he might as well have been grabbing the next five months and honestly tossing it into the recycling bin for, for what it was worth. You know, even though we're talking about once every five days in terms of a starting pitcher, but, you know, this was a guy we were thinking about in terms of a potential Cy Young winner, certainly a guy who was going to go out there every five days and keep us in games and, you know, you have Syndergaard pitching on top of DeGrom, then you don't have Adam Wilk, and you don't have Tyler Pill, and you don't have Tommy Malone, and you take pressure off the, the other guys. So, you know, we saw, what, three innings out of Noah Syndergaard over the last week or so of the season. They were three very encouraging innings. They don't really mean anything in of themselves, but the idea that he is healthy and can continue to heal or to you know, develop his pitching muscles, shall we say, not not so much with the the weightlifting and everything else, mm-hmm. then yeah, you know, we we can feel pretty good. Again, it wasn't you know a shoulder injury, it wasn't an elbow injury, so we're talking about a one-two punch that we can feel pretty good about. Again, we went into. Um, 2017 feeling very good about our pitching and you know we're you know we, we put an asterisk next to that now i suppose um but it's a pretty good starting point if you have Degrom and are under the impression that Degrom can continue to do what he did and he had a you know the numbers were you know pretty to very good but really with this team, he was magnificent in my mind, you know, save for a couple of starts and, and one later stretch. Uh, if that's your one-two punch, great. And, you know, if if Cespedes' legs are in shape, suddenly, you know, you're not talking about having to, you know, again, I use the phrase again, mix and match and find an outfield laying around in the back uh, <laughs> somewhere. Uh Conforto, you know, unfortunately, we don't know when he comes back, and that's that's a question mark. But if he is, he comes back and is able to be what he showed us. Suddenly, you know, we're talking about the same corner outfielders that we were kind of salivating over last year. Unfortunately, it just didn't work long enough. But we we have every reason to believe that it's capable. So you know, what I was saying before, we we have enough, but the Mets have enough talent so that you don't think that the whole thing is is hopeless. You know, that's the guys we're talking about. Now, again, three of those four guys miss significant amounts of time. One of them is not expected back to start the season necessarily. So, you know, I wouldn't necessarily start printing the tickets for the World Series for 2018 just yet. But uh, it's not necessarily dire, but it's, you know, certainly question-worthy. Well, you mentioned about Syndergaard coming back and and pitching a few innings. Matt Harvey came back and was abysmal, but you know I kept saying that uh, you have to look at it as early spring training and spring training for him because he he was out, came back, 
and uh, was injured again and then came back again and and really he he never found his rhythm or anything and uh what's your take on Matt Harvey uh coming back this year and and where do you think he'll be well you know he did not look like anything last month of the season but you could have you know, you, you say spring training. I think that's a, a pretty decent comparison. Uh, the whole month was a matter of working things through. And if if he still got something, we, we shall see it. And, you know, you're talking about a guy who's you know, known how to pitch, but he's, you know, been through, been through a few things. So it's, it's hard. That's the thing. It's, it's hard to go into 2018 and say, yeah, we have five, seven, eight pitchers. We we do guys who have credentials to mm-hmm. to varying degrees. But I mean, again, Matt Harvey just isn't that Matt Harvey until proven otherwise. And maybe you know he'll never be. You know, if he can be so better than he was in September, and God knows he couldn't possibly be any worse. Um, <laughs> that's okay. You know, if if you have other guys who can kind of step up, if you bring in somebody who can to use the cliche, eat some innings. Um, you know, he's, and he has every reason to be motivated, not just as a professional, but as a professional whose professional contract is up after next year. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I give the guy credit for coming back. I think it would have been easy considering all he had been through to kind of say, you know, let me just... Uh, you know, work on some things in his favorite town, Port St. Lucie. But, you know, he did come back. He did attempt to throw innings. I mean, there wasn't one good start. But there was also no, as far as we know, uh, physical problems. You know, the velocity was still decent. And he he didn't grab anything, let's put it that way. <laughs> so, you know, you, you've got a lot of guys after the, the, the two main guys we, we praised who, you know, all have question marks based either on their physical status in terms of Mats and Wheeler or their performance, which, you know, Gazelman and Lugo, who now and again looked like those guys who seemed like, you know, terrific bonus pieces a, a year ago, but then, you know, the Mets had to rely on them, and it was very on and off. And I guess I should throw Montero in there who for a little while looked like a guy who had elevated his game. And we're talking about, you know, a, a legitimate major league starter. And as the year went on, it, it got a little less. Yeah. It, it seemed like he had it a little less in his grasp. But, you know, in, in a way, uh, we're kind of back where we started, except with less confidence uh, where all these guys are concerned. But... You know, they're this all all eight of those guys. It's it's better than having to go to the the well of uh, of waiver wires and uh, you know you know I, I rattled off the names before. I don't even want to say them again because it's so depressing. <laughs> so it's a place to start, and, and you just hope that it can be you know enhanced. Shall we say? I don't I don't expect uh, you know some kind of enormous Cy Young level signing, but you know, bring in a little competition and find somebody who can pitch, you know, who can pitch six innings once a week, basically, uh, which you never would have dreamed was going to be a challenge. And, you know, you step back and you look at the numbers, you look at the ERA, 
which was over five for the staff, which was the, the stuff of 1962, and the starter ERAs, which was even higher or, uh, than any Mets staff before. And we've seen some dismal Mets staffs. So it, it doesn't quite add up because we do know there's talent there. We do know there's ability. We do know there's knowledge about of how to pitch. But uh, And again, we're looking at a new pitching coach too. So, um, you know, it's... It, I, I hate to keep using non-committal phrases like this, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens. It certainly is going to be a, an interesting winter to see what Sandy Alderson has up his sleeve and uh, uh, as well as uh, to see what, what they uh, put together uh, as far as the coaches and the managers. And we'll get to that in a minute, but um, you mentioned Wheeler, you mentioned Matt's. Uh, are they? Are we getting near a breaking point with these guys? Is it, are they? They reaching the end of their rope with this team, or uh, do you still think they have some chances left? I suppose it it depends on what their alternatives are, what the Mets' alternatives are. I mean, you know, Wheeler gave you what two or so pretty solid months and then just whether you want to call it running out of gas or he just wasn't all the way back. We don't know if that's something, what, what they call it elbow fatigue or something last mm-hmm. year. I don't remember anymore. Yes. There were so many things wrong with so many pictures. I can't keep straight, uh, but he, he just kind of uh, sort of disappeared at some point. Um, Max's thing was, it wasn't quite, they, uh, I, I think I'd, I'd read that it was more like what DeGrom had to shut down with in 2016, so that's a little more positive. Um, you know, if, if the Mets don't have other options, then I wouldn't say that these guys' time is up. You know, our patience might be wearing a little thin. Uh, but, you know, because we're, we're talking about guys in, in both of those cases who Wheeler has had one full season in the major leagues, which was 2014. Matt, if I'm not mistaken, has not had a full, healthy season. Came up in the middle of 2015. Yeah. He went on the DL after a couple of very promising starts. He was in and out in 2016 before having to shut it down in the middle of August. You know, he, if you remember, they, they kept talking about, you know, maybe Matt's will be back in his next turn. I mean, it never happened. Right. And then he comes back in June, pitches really well for a few starts, and just Sort of like Wheeler, you know, every start was like a little more troubling, a little more, and then suddenly it's like, hey, he's on the disabled list. Well, that figures because we just you know, we got to the point where sooner or later you just assumed everybody was hurt. So, um, you know, they're welcome, you know, they're you know, under contract, uh, Mets own their rights, they're welcome to come back and try it again. But I, I think that that whole concept of, oh, my God, we have, like, the rotation of a lifetime here. I think that's kind of off the table at this point. Um, they're just pitchers now, like any other team's pitchers that who aren't, you know, at the top of their game. That, you know, DeGrom is uh, on a different level from them at this point, and Cindergaard, we, we cross our fingers, is still on that kind of level with DeGrom, and everybody else kind of has to prove it, um, which is fine, but it, it just sort of, you know, it doesn't give you that same sense of oh my god, like watch, watch out Nationals and everybody else because you know we're going to throw us you know great starter at you every night because we're not. We don't yes. know that. If we can throw two great starters at you every five days, that that would be an improvement. 
Now, do you think uh, uh, at all that Matt's is possibly a head case that uh, not that the injuries itself, but that he's he's got to be a hundred percent. He doesn't seem happy all the time. I mean, that kind of uh, that kind of guy. Uh, uh, you know, there were some things that that came out about Terry Collins, and some players were quoted, and some people have suggested that. One of those anonymous players could have been Matt's. Uh, you think there's anything true to that, or uh, is it just uh, people reaching for straws? Uh, I'm not inside of Stephen Matt's head. Uh, if if I were, I would worry about the acoustics on this phone call. <laughs> but um, you know, it's it's easy to make these. I don't even say assumptions, but to kind of put pieces together. I mean, look, you know, we're, we're talking a day after Steven Strasburg was, you know, kind of getting that treatment. Like, what's wrong with this guy? Is mm-hmm. His team is in a must-win situation and supposedly was uh, suffering from, from mold exposure or had the flu. And what's wrong with this guy? He doesn't want the ball. And half of the baseball world is questioning his manhood. Then he goes out, he says, you know what, I'm fine. He takes the ball and he throws seven brilliant innings. So it's easy to make these inferences. And I've done it myself, kind of rolling my eyes at Matt's. But I just don't know. I do know that when he's on, he's, you know, incredible. He hasn't been on that much. Um, You know, maybe new voices in terms of a new manager and a new pitching coach have a real impact on a guy like that. You know, maybe a guy like that after what it was essentially a lost year looks up and says, I have to get serious or I have to, you know, work harder on A, B, and C. Um, I, I, I am reluctant to make those sorts of, you know, declarations because, you know, all it takes is, you know, he, he finds something, mm. you know, he feels better. Uh, he reaches a conclusion. He he moves his fingers on the stitches of the ball ever so slightly. He, 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 moves, he moves his arm ever so slightly, and suddenly we're talking about a warrior or something like that. So, <laughs> you know, the, the thing that bothers me about Ness is just he, he hasn't been out there enough. Now, whether that's kind of indicative of... of his psychological state, I really don't know. But I, I always felt, you know, he had that magnificent debut. One will never forget. I was at mm-hmm. that game, uh, you know, Grandpa Burton, the whole thing, and the, the, the RBIs and the hits, and it was just a, what a welcome to the big leagues. And I think we all kind of elevated him to the same lofty status because we liked the idea of, you know, at the time, I guess the pecking order would have been Harvey, DeGrom, Syndergaard, and Matz, the Fab Four, and, and whatever. And really, I'm thinking, I didn't remember Matz being talked up that much until, you know, how it gets where you need somebody, so the next guy who's having a great year, and I'm going to say Las Vegas, because there's the team is still in Las Vegas till further notice. There you go. The next guy in Las Vegas, like, bring him up, bring him up. So he was the next guy because Syndergaard had been the next guy like literally a month before. And we got all excited and he came through with one really good start, two really good starts got hurt. And 
since then, a handful of really good starts. And it's worked. You know, a left-hander throwing the way he can and does is certainly, you know, worth getting excited about. But I was I always thought we, we were sort of boosting him into elite company without really having the evidence that he belonged there until further notice. So I don't know if that's extra pressure on a kid like Matt's. Or, you know, that maybe he really is that good, but well, as you suggest, he just hasn't found the way to, to put the whole package together physically, mentally, competitively, whatever else. So I'm just, again, yeah, I just keep going back to Strasburg. And again, totally different people, different situations. Strasburg, you know, is one of the most hyped prospects of all time and has had a, for the most part, a really good career. But just, you know, listening yesterday, to all these, you know, then people who kind of know what they're talking about saying, you know, what's wrong with this guy? This guy is not a, he's not a real teammate. He's not a real competitor. It's like, how do you know? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, maybe the guy really said to himself, I am not going to help the team if I go out there and throw it, you know, I'm at 50% or maybe he got his, his medications and hey, he was great after that. And I realized the question was about Stephen Matz, not Stephen Strasburg. <laughs> but um, it, it's okay. just it's just an idea of of trying to to pigeonhole, I, I guess, a professional athlete who, unless you know him really well, unless you are him, it's just tough to say. So again, I, I like I think I'm going to be looking at you know February 2018 Port St. Lucie as a clean slate. Um, you know, looking looking for the best out of these guys and hope that whoever the new voices are that are talking to them in terms of a manager and a pitching coach uh, bring out the best in them. Well, I tell you, it is going to after Strasburg's performance yesterday. I think there's going to be a lot of people looking for that moldy air conditioning in the rooms of uh, Chicago, the the first trip in, and and want that room for their starting pitches because we're gonna was... we're gonna we're gonna break the mold as it were, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then then and do do our best to breathe it in. But you know what? I wouldn't recommend it if they're the Mets because let's face it. I, could, can you picture the Mets being exposed to? anything wrong and it's somehow benefiting them? I don't think so. <laughs> well, you mentioned uh, new coaches and new managers, and, uh, of course, Terry Collins stepped down. He made it uh, uh, sure everybody knew that. He did not retire. He did not mm-hmm. uh, quit. He did not uh, get fired. Um, he stepped down. I don't know how you could step down from a job. Your contract was up anyway. Uh, but uh, he stepped down, and we're looking for a replacement. And um, the long list initially is uh, 15 names, and I think they said they whittled it down to between 6 or 10. Um, the usual suspects, uh, Bob Guerin, Chappelle, and some newcomers. Uh, Alex Cora is on the list, Robin Ventura, uh, Kevin Long, the batting coach, um, I, I, Sandy Alamont Jr. Um, I'm forgetting a host of others, but um, um, what do you think of the candidates so far, and who would be a guy that you would think of uh, as far as replacing Terry Collins as the manager of the Mets? Oh, gosh. I, I don't know, Gary. <laughs> 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 these, you know, the, these 
I guess you would call it, uh, you know, b- between the the election and inauguration, I call it the interregnum. Um, <laughs> except we, we haven't elected anybody, so we, we don't know what, what we're uh, going to inaugurate. But um, these are weird times because you, you, you know, a name gets mentioned and some somebody on the beat will go and interview two or three guys who know him. <laughs> Somebody who may have played for him, somebody who, you know, has been one of his his students, shall we say, as if he is a coach, uh, somebody who is a, who's a pal of his. And it's always the same. Oh, this guy's great. This guy should be managing. He could definitely manage in New York. He could definitely manage the Mets. He's definitely what they need. So I never know what to think. Um, you know, six years, seven years ago, excuse me. I didn't know what to think of Terry Collins other than, you know, that he had had a really checkered past as a manager. And he was very little like the guy you you kind of remembered with Houston and Anaheim. Um, I mean, well, one thing I noticed about the these names that have been thrown out there is there's very little in the way of a, guy you really know as a manager. In other words, you know, we're not talking about, you know, we're going to go get Dusty Baker. We're going to go get, uh, bring Tony LaRusse out of retirement. We're going to lure away Bruce Bochy. I mean, guys who kind of have a reputation. Talking for the most part, guys who either have never managed before or the guys who've had like one shot at it or they've kind of done it almost in, in obscurity just kind of funny that you could do that in the, in the major leagues, but there just seems to be a number of guys who have this sort of plaid, <laughs> you might say, reputation that you don't even know, you know, it's not like this guy is fiery or mm-hmm. this guy's a real thinker. It's like, well, this guy works well with the general manager or, you know, this guy, you know, never really got in trouble with the press or whatever. And maybe that's what you look for these days. Um, you know, I, I guess we you know, one of the things that struck me when the, I think Alex Core was mentioned in this realm, uh, he could really, you know, motivate a guy like Cespedes. And I'm like, really, you need a, You need to bring in a manager to do that. This guy isn't motivated enough. And I'm, I'm not saying he isn't. I just find, find that an interesting, mm-hmm. uh, uh, qualification, shall we say, um, you know, I, I don't know and you know, some of this is on me for not having studied uh, every one of these candidates. I figure they'll put a manager in front of me and I'll react. But, um, you know, I don't know these guys' game strategy necessarily. I don't know how much difference that makes. Um, and I don't know who, what this team is. It's not the kind of – some years you have a sense that what this team needs is to be shaken up, say, after, you know, Willie Randolph was dismissed or maybe he – before he was dismissed, but maybe he should have been dismissed after 2007 in the year that they, the first collapse. Like you could say that, well, we know who this team is going to be. We just need somebody to shake these guys up. We don't really know precisely what this team is going to be. Um, we know we have a couple of important young guys and we have, I mentioned a couple, a couple of, you know, one young star and a guy who hasn't been able to stay healthy and a number of question marks. Uh, plus, you know, the, the pitching, and I don't know if the, how, how much impact the manager has on pitching as opposed to pitching coach or pitching guru. So, you know, 
again, the guy whose name I always come back to is Bruce Bochy, who's like, just seemed like such an, I'm not saying the Mets need to go get Bruce Bochy. I'm just saying that, that these days, managers just seem to be so interchangeable with a handful of exceptions. And a guy like Bochy just sort of seems to do what he wants to do. Yeah. And I guess he has, has had a pretty good relationship with his front office that lets him do that. And he's, you know, despite where the giants are now, they certainly has you know, a hall of fame track record. If, if you, you know, think three world championships are, are hall of fame. I, I guess I, I just keep going back. You know, the, the managers from when we were, and the world was younger for that matter. You know, and I'm just going to throw some names at you like Earl Weaver and Billy Martin. And I mentioned Larusa before. And hell, Davey Johnson for that matter. Whitey Herzog. These were guys who just sort of had a trademark way of doing things. Not necessarily all the same. I don't know what Bob Guerin's trademark is or Chip Hale's trademark. And that's not a knock on them. Uh, maybe it's enough to just kind of, you know, be be quiet and, and read the analytics and, you know, delegate to your coaches and, you know, answer questions n- not angrily from when you have to meet with the media twice a day. Um, so, I, I, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be elusive here. I, I just don't know. Um, I will say that I always liked Joe McEwing, and I know his name has been out there, and right. it would, I've read enough about him to think that might be interesting. But I also realize I don't have the vaguest idea of how that would translate. I mean, I loved Robin Ventura when he was a player. I know it didn't work out for him in Chicago, although I I thought he had a pretty good first year. Although Jerry Manuel had a pretty good first year with the Mets and nobody won him back after a couple of years. (laughs) Uh, I remember Sandy Alomar Jr. being, you know, uh, with with the Mets briefly and being kind of impressed by him. I'll take everybody's word for it on Alex Gore. I just, uh, shortly before we got on the phone, I was reading you know, Carlos Beltran saying nice things about Alex Cora, where you know he's playing in Houston Cora as a coach. So you know, it, it's all such a it's all such a crapshoot at this point. It's just like it's not like God, oh, we got to get that guy. And to be fair, the last time I remember an off season where it was like, oh, this guy's available, we got to go get him. It was Jeff Torborg. Jeff Torborg was quite possibly the worst manager the Mets ever had. Um, so I just don't know. Um, you know, I'll say this, that I, I, I think that if you could get, you know, somebody with some of the same qualities that Collins had, maybe not the game management exactly, but at least until it all came spilling out at the end, um, what seemed to be the people skills, what seemed to be the communications, what seemed to be the ability to kind of absorb the, whatever was brewing and let his players play. I, I think that would be something to aspire to. So we shall see. Uh, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that the stuff came spilling out, and I I just found it odd that uh, he had some losing years here, and nothing came out then. And at this point now, uh, it, it it stuff is coming out, and I I don't I I just have a problem with that kind of stuff sometimes because why didn't we hear about it? before and you know and then they say well losing brings out this sort of thing but he had a couple of losing years before and nobody said anything and i i don't know it just bothers me that this kind of stuff had to come out and it had to come out like the weekend before the last games and you know his contract was up and you know he was probably leaving um 
it, it just left a sour taste in my mouth. Yeah, I did not think it was the classiest way to send him out. You know, what, what you said before about him stepping aside and stepping down as opposed to what it really was, was that his contract was not renewed and they were going to replace him. And then they sort of invented a, uh, well, I don't know if it will be a, a sinecure or, you know, it will be a legitimate uh, role in terms of player development and, you know, keeping an eye on the minor leagues or whatever it is they'll be doing as a, quote, special assistant to Sandy Alderson. It seems like that sort of thing could have been kind of figured out and announced a little sooner. I don't think anybody was going to be shocked that he wasn't coming back if they had said, you know, with two weeks to go, here is our succession plan. We may not have a successor, but at least we know how we're going to ease this guy out. And, you know, I didn't sense a, a great backlash to the idea of letting him go. I mean, I already understands seven years, a you know, kind of a long slog of a rebuilding process. And then there was certainly a payoff. And then unfortunately there was this year. Um, as, as I seem to recall in the article, the, the kind of, you know, let's, you know, let the dogs out, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, it was less player. There were like a couple of player, anonymous players, uh, nameless players. Uh, but it seemed to be a lot of unnamed front office, organizational types. I have no idea who these people are. And yeah, it would be, you know, nicer if people put their names to it. I guess you don't get those kind of juicy quotes if you do that. <laughs> but um, I have no idea who to play. And of course, that's your first thought. Like, oh, who's saying this? You know, right. is it this guy or that guy? By the end of the year, you're like, well, who's here to really say anything after a while? Like, <laughs> you know, you go through it in your mind. Well, this one is like only been here for five minutes. Like, <laughs> Why, why would he have like a grudge against cons? Well, this guy's not been on the disabled list for two months. And okay, I could see this guy being mad, but why should he, you know, so it, it doesn't really help anybody. I mean, listen, it's, you know, it's juicy. It's gossipy. We're, we're all probably guilty to some extent of lapping it up. I know I read the article uh, that, that put this out to the ecosystem three or four times. And I can't blame the, the reporter for, you know, it's his job to, to, to get things that people are interested in reading and talking about. But, um, well, the way to have done it would have been to have said, you know, some at some point in September, you know what, we are going to make a change, but we have in mind a, a position for Terry Collins. And, you know, the, the last Met manager who finished his tenure and was still in the organization was Casey Stengel. So we're talking about a long, a long time since the Mets have managed one of the, no pun intended, managed one of these transitions particularly well. I mean, everybody gets bounced in kind of a, you know, unflattering way. And yeah, some guys, so listen, you're not going to keep everybody on the payroll forever, but certain guys you wish it had ended better for and, you know, guys didn't feel ostracized or exiled, but, uh, you know, that's unfortunately the way it goes in any kind of business, I suppose. But, um, you know, Collins did some things well, did some things not so well. And yeah, for, you know, six years and five months and two weeks, I always marveled that uh, we hadn't had, you know, a plethora of, you know, quote unquote, one met said, as they like to say, and hey, you know what the problem here is? The problem is college. You just didn't read that. 
And suddenly, oh, guess what? It was all Collins. He was horrible. Like that just seemed not not the way to do it. And you you can't stop people from saying that. And that's their right. But um, I'm I'm just surprised it it wasn't orchestrated better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just it's it just sounded cheesy and. And it's just, I, you know, I almost shook my head and said, boy, they can't do anything right. They can't even let this guy go in in uh, a peaceful, uh, nice manner that the, something's always got to come out that uh, you don't want out there. And it's really a, a shame that it happened that way. But, uh, you know, that's the way things seem to operate. Now, I won't even bother asking you about the uh, pitching coach. <laughs> <laughs> but I I was shocked that um, in in a lot of the reports they say that uh, Frank Viola will would not even be considered for the job and well I'm perplexed by that I I can't even understand that yeah I, again you know I I don't know what the uh, the relationships are that would kind of exclude him. You would figure this guy worked with, I think, just about every pitcher who's on the staff now. I don't remember if he was there with Harvey uh, when he was coming up, but certainly Syndergaard and Matts and you know Wheeler's comeback trail, and if he was there in 2014, uh, Degrom, Montero. I mean, he has certainly uh, Lugo and Gazelman. I don't know. Maybe they they don't like the way they they uh, came up again. It may be as simple as just a personality clash. Uh, you, you never know how these things are. But I would have thought Viola. And again, you know, you you can look at the five ERA and say, well, nobody's an angel and everybody <laughs> should be gone. But you know, ba- based on the, this team at its best was based on pitching. And that Viola had crafted most of these guys. And again, what we were led to believe was that this guy had done a good job. Um, you would think that there there would be a a future in that, certainly some consideration. But yeah, I'm I'm surprised too. But um, there's as these things often are, it's probably a little more to it than than we understand. And um, you know. I would wish Frank Viola all the best uh, if, in fact, he leaves the organization, which sounds like he will. And I, I just wonder if they're tying him to uh, uh, Wally Backman at all and just trying to clear that out, you know, that whole house out uh, there. You know, I, I always figured Backman was sort of a, uh, you know, I don't want to say a lone wolf. That always sounds so dangerous, but just sort of a, sing- a singular actor in in the whole Mets narrative that we've been dealing with for a few years. I, th- I think they kind of viewed Wally as Wally, and you know Viola probably had his own portfolio, which is usually the case with the pitching. I mean, this will be interesting in that for the first time since Art Howe came in that you'll be starting a season with a new manager and a new pitching coach. Uh, that was, what, 2003? And that was, I think, Rick Waits was the pitching coach who they kind of shoved aside and brought in Rick Peterson. And then, you know, Peterson transcended managers for a couple of terms. And then, of course, Orban uh, did that. And, you know, actually, I mean, that it, it seemed weird, but when I thought about it, 
you know, Rube Walker outlasted a bunch of managers, and Nell Stottlemyre outlasted a bunch of managers. And I can understand that you want to have a, a consistent pitching philosophy. But I, I thought Viola was a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe, you know, maybe they just want a complete new, you know, way of doing things. Maybe Viola, I don't know about Backman, but maybe Viola and Warthen were, were too too blinked in their minds that, you know, it was the same, you know, the same voices that were bringing you to the major leagues and then keeping you in the major leagues. Maybe that's not what they want talking to these pitchers. I really don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very interesting. You know, the, the inner workings, like you said, we're not in there, so we don't know. We don't know what the personality conflicts are. Um, but, uh, it just, it just seems a little odd to the outsider looking in that, that you wouldn't want to keep him. But, um, you know, like you say, there are things going on that we don't know. And, uh, you know, Sandy Alderson did come out and say to expect the major changes on the AAA level. They were not happy about the preparation of players uh, but did you think that would mean that they would go out and buy a ball club? <laughs> uh, it, was, it seems like a good idea. <laughs> you know what? I, I hate I hate to be this way, but you know, so, some, something will go wrong in Syracuse, and we'll all be like, "How did they wind up with Syracuse? What a what a miserable place! What a horrible stadium! What bad weather!" You know, it just it just seems like right now it seems like the panacea because it's not Las Vegas and it's not twenty eight hundred miles away. But uh, well, let's assume that uh, when it, whatever dark underbelly of the Syracuse Chiefs exists will not reveal itself for a few years. Uh, I think it was a, you know, it's a great idea. You know, we, we've all wanted them out of Las Vegas. Um, it never made any sense to anybody. Um, so, uh, we, you know, we, we all understood, I think, that you know, the Mets kind of got caught in a game of musical chairs, and the one franchise that was left for them was in Las Vegas. And you know what? They they went to a World Series with their farm team, their top farm team in Las Vegas. They went to the playoffs two years in a row. Now, I remember when I was growing up, Syracuse was the Yankees farm system, excuse me, you know, top farm club uh, from 67 to 77. And then the next year, it was suddenly in Tacoma. <laughs> yeah. And I remember reading, uh, I don't know if, if, if it was a, a comment about it or perhaps it was, George Steinbrenner complaining about it, but it was this belief that, you know, how is a team in New York supposed to operate with a triple A farm club in Tacoma, Washington, (laughs) all the way across the country? How are we supposed to get players here? This was 1978, and the Yankees won the World Series that year. Now, obviously, they decided it wasn't optimal because the next year they they went moved to Columbus and they stayed there for a long time, until only a few years ago, I think. So. You know, these things can be overblown, I suppose, but it, it never really made a lot of sense. And, of course, you know, the one thing, you know, we're sitting here in New York knowing one thing about the Pacific Coast League, that it is ridiculous for earn run averages and for batting averages and for home run production. And didn't, you know, aside from geography, just, you know, didn't necessarily give you a fair reading of, of what players were capable of and, pitching at sea level versus pitching at, at higher elevations. So, you know, huzzah for uh, the Mets buying a team in Syracuse and hopefully making that work 
for uh, several seasons to come once they are ensconced there. Uh, you know, I was watching the uh, it was the Red Sox and Astros on Columbus Day. You know, playing you know a must-win game for the Red Sox, a possible clinching game for the Astros. They're bringing you know Justin Verlander in from relief and Chris Sale in relief. And then this thing comes across Twitter. The Mets are going to you know, buy the Syracuse team, move their AAA team there the year after next. And it's like, this is what Mets fans have to get excited about in the postseason. And we were all excited. I'm not even saying that, like, you know, disparagingly. It's like, wow, we, we, we got a win in the middle of the postseason. And it was because we have a new AAA affiliate the year after next. But uh just goes to show you, I think, how, how beaten down we've become. <laughs> by the mere logistics of, of of how our baseball team operates that we were that excited about it. So, um, you know, I didn't know it would take buying a team. I don't know how these things happen. And again, you know, like, like I said, I've, I've read some things in the last couple of days about how it's not really the best stadium and it's really not really the best market. You know what? It's in New York State. And it's closer than Buffalo. And I remember, you know, supposedly, you know, Buffalo was uh, not really ideal. Nothing's ideal. There's a reason these are AAA markets, because they're not that big. And there's just not that much interest. But, uh, you know, get on, you know, I looked it up. It was something like 43 minutes to fly from Syracuse to LaGuardia. That sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> Take it from there. That's it. Exactly. And, uh you know, it's it's a growing town because of the university there so big. But um, I, I was fascinated with the point that they actually bought a team, though, um, because, you know, it seems like they're going old school now, back to the old uh, Branch Ricky days when, when the uh, the main, main club would own the farm teams instead of uh, making affiliations and and I think um, what happened in Buffalo uh, really uh, is what changed their mind about this because, you know, in Buffalo, it was comp- one of the reasons Buffalo wanted out was because they complained the Mets were taking too many of their good players for the Major League Club. And, and of course, that's what the job is. I mean, that's... Yeah, yeah I never understood that. <laughs> that's of course what... you're going to take the best players. You should, have, you should only have good players to take to the Major League level. Um, you know, it'd be nice. I, I'm sure if the Mets had had oodles of really good players at Double A, they would have brought them up to Triple A. You know, get over it, Buffalo. That's <laughs> understand that at all. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess you know this gives them some some certainty by owning the uh, the Syracuse team. Although I I guess from from what I was reading, it, it it the arrangement goes through 2025 that they would stay there. So. But I guess they would then own the franchise, and if they wanted to move them, uh, they would have that ability as opposed to just kind of picking up and uh, trying to get somebody else to, to deal with them. Um, again, the, every, everything since they left Norfolk has been, has been suboptimal. Right. So, you know, this, is, this can't be any worse. And, you know, other than some snow outs in, in April, I suppose uh, – it seems to have an upside. Yeah, you know, um, look, they've survived up there with minor league baseball in a triple-A level, I think, since 1961. And before that, they even had a farm system, a farm team there. So, um, 
you know, I mean, it, it's been a viable, somewhat viable area, and uh, you get some good promotions, you'll put people in the seats uh, again, and uh, look, they're losing crowds in, in the rest of uh, the Brooklyn uh, attendance is down, and everywhere else in uh, some of the minor leagues and yet in some of the minor leagues the, the cities they're, they're booming so um you know it, it, it'll be good it'll be good for the team to have somebody cl- and, and like i said or like you said i should say uh they wanted to be in new york they wanted to have everybody closer to home than what they've had before and now they've, they're, they're going to accomplish that that's um no, it, it certainly couldn't hurt to you know have the Mets brand, shall we say, uh, you know, single A, double A, triple A, all within a geographic distance that uh, everybody could identify with. I don't know. There, there was you may remember a couple of years ago, uh, Facebook had done a study. Somebody did a study with Facebook data on favorite teams in every zip code. Uh, in the USA, and it was kind of depressing because basically like, no zip code had the Mets as their favorite. This was when the Mets were not playing well yet, and not even you know one one three six eight in Flushing <laughs> was like, had, had the Mets as their favorite team based on Facebook likes or however they measured it. But what I found like really disturbing was like Las Vegas did not have any kind of a Met presence. Uh, in terms of Mets fans. And it's like, if you can't get your AAA market excited about you, you know, what, what, what good is the affiliation? Uh, you know, what, what, what benefits are there beyond we have a place to play? So you would figure at least, you know, you're not in somebody else's ostensible major league backyard, which is, you know, you're uh, adjacent to the California teams out there and Arizona and everything else. So, uh, I, I, it might be beneficial, and you know, like you know, I think we we are all in agreement that the proximity certainly doesn't hurt. Well, this has been uh, uh, quite an hour. I I can't believe the time has flew by so quickly. It always does when we get together. But before we go, one more question: Bartolo Colon is open to uh, he wants to play one more year. Is uh, uh, Bartolo, somebody we should bring back to uh, Flushing. Based on his numbers this year, I would not, uh, you know, well, what are we talking about? A 44-year-old pitcher with an ERA. Uh, I know it was in like in the, what, the sixes in, in the National League, and I know he had some good outings for the Twins. I would say no, but he's Bartolo Colon, so uh, <laughs> that sort of changes the equation. So if you want to talk to Bartolo Colon, and Bartolo Colon wants to talk to you, knowing what we know. Um, you know what? Warren Spahn was a pitcher slash pitching coach in 1965 and certainly had a hand in developing uh, at least one pitcher in Tug McGraw. If you want to bring in Bartolo Colon to be your pitching coach, uh, I don't know if, if, if what – and you know, every pitcher who's, who worked with him who was his teammate uh, with the Mets, uh, talked about how much he meant to them. Mm-hmm. I, I hadn't even thought of that until just now. That might not be the craziest idea. <laughs> so um, it's got to be, you know what, you went 70 and 92. Everything's on the table. Sure. Talk to Bartola. <laughs> 
All right, Greg. Well, as always, uh, always entertaining and enjoy speaking with you. And uh, I want to thank you for coming on tonight's show. And um, before you go, uh, why don't you tell us uh, what do you have going on? Faith and Fear and Flushing across the blog and and all the books and uh, uh, anything we, we can uh, be on the lookout for. Uh, you know, keep keep reading faithandfearandflushing.com. Uh, Jason Fry and I are not necessarily there every every morning in the off season, but we're there regularly. And uh, probably once Game Five of the last NLDS is settled, uh, we'll have some things to say about the upcoming uh, NLCS and I suppose the ALCS. And uh, yeah, my latest book, Piazza is out there about his time as a Met, a Piazza Catcher Slugger Icon star. So uh, I, I would urge uh, your listeners, if they're interested, to, to look into that and uh, hopefully some, some new projects up ahead. But uh, right now, just uh, going to try to enjoy the postseason and uh, look forward to all, all the, uh, the greatness that will be the 2018 Mets soon enough. <laughs> All right, <laughs> and uh, you can go to com, and on the left hand side there should be a link to uh, uh, Greg's books I think they're all there uh, I know Piazza is definitely there and check it out it's a terrific book and you'll really enjoy it as we come into these cold winter nights uh, you can read Greg's books and he'll bring you back to the summertime and uh, New York Mets baseball. So uh, check that out. And once again, Greg, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thank you so much, Gary. I always love it. And uh, that's going to wrap up the show for this week. So uh, remember to uh, check it out every week at MetsMusings.com and uh, at Sportscaster.live and on 365 Sportscast. And until the next time, remember, keep the faith, stay optimistic, and let's go Mets.